1: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
0: I'm
1: happy to bring back on the podcast Chad Jennings of The Athletic in Boston. He covers the Red Sox. He's been on many times in the show. Chad, happy opening day for the Boston Red Sox.
2: Thanks. Yeah, it feels good to at least have something that resembles normalcy. normal thing, even though by the time I get to the ballpark, it will be very clear that it's anything but normal.
1: Yeah, I I think that, I mean, obviously there's been the exhibition games and the inter-squad games and all that kind of stuff. But I think the national audience definitely realized last night during that Yankees and Nats game, things are not normal this year. And uh, it's going to be the same for all the teams going to the ballpark this year. But I feel like the best news the Red Sox got was – the expansion of the playoffs? Because in my opinion, that opens the door for them this year.
2: Oh, but yeah, there's no question. I mean, look, we may see a team with a losing record make the playoffs. Um, Now it'll be, you know, everything about this year is going to be weird. It's all going to come with an asterisk anyway. You know, even if the, the Red Sox miraculously win 50 games and three to the world series, we're going to look back at it as well, they did it in this really weird year. Right. I mean, that's just everything's going to be odd. So I, I kind of in favor of screw it. Let's just throw, <laughs> throw convention out the window and yeah, you know, try this sort of thing. Um, it's for the sport. It's probably good. It's an easier way for them to make some money. And if they need that, you know, by all means of this year of all years, let's try something a little bit wacky to, to see if you can boost revenue and, uh, so, yeah, but I, I think you're right. It does help the Red Sox. I mean, they, th- that gives them at least a fighting chance. Um, I think right now they're projected on fan graphs to be like 30 and 30. Um, so it would be kind of between, you figure them and, I don't know, gosh, the White Sox, uh, you know, vaguely maybe like the Blue Jays and Rangers, the Angels, you know, those teams are all kind of in that murky middle that, uh, you know, if one of those teams has a good year. You know, they could they could sneak in there and then and then you're looking at a three game series, you know. I mean, yeah. baseball notoriously, three games, who knows? You know, I mean, you gotta play all three on the road, but who knows what advantage home field is gonna be this year. So sure. I mean, it, it definitely helps them to have the expanded field because right now they're they, they don't look like a conventional playoff team by any means.
1: Yeah, and we know we can rule out the Orioles and the Royals and and probably yeah. Probably the Mariners like those teams were not going to make the playoffs anyway. they're still not going to make the playoffs. So the Red Sox right. are now competing with the, those handful of teams that you mentioned and, and that's great. I, I agree that it, that overall it probably helps boost baseball's um, you know the the overall level of fans being involved and wanting to see their team you know play meaningful games in September. But as a Yankees fan, you know I was really looking forward to that 60 game sprint. And now it's kind of (laughs) now it's kind of a formality because they're going to make the playoffs. And now it's just about, are they going to finish first, second, third? Like it doesn't really have that same sort of urgent feel. You know, I was thinking those 10 games against the Rays for the Yankees were going to be really important. And now they're kind of like, yeah, just go five and five.
2: Yeah, it's true. But I also wonder if we will... uh it just kind of won't help but just revert to just the excitement of watching this year. Right. Like we've been so far, it's been so removed from our lives that that I don't know that the pennant chase or a playoff race or whatever is going to necessarily be something you need to get excited about the season. Right. Like, and, and now maybe that's different when we get to mid September and it starts to feel a little bit like, okay, we've now been playing for a month and a half, you know, now maybe you're just sort of killing time until the playoffs, but But I think for most of the year, it's just going to be fun to have the games again, and you're going to root and cheer and be excited, you know, just like you would in a normal year, even though there is sort of less on the line, I guess.
1: So how are the Red Sox set up for a 60-game season? Because I still think their lineup of their core of offensive players is still good.
2: The lineup's legitimate. I mean, even without Mookie you know, that Devers, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, I mean, that's a legit, you know, core of the lineup. And then, you know, you add in a guy like Benintendi, a guy like Alex Verdugo, where, you know, these sort of youngish big league players who haven't fully established who they are as as big league hitters, you know, it wouldn't be shocking to see Andrew Benintendi be one of the better leadoff hitters in baseball this year. It's not sort of what he's been so far in the first three seasons of his career, but, but you can see that happening. You can see Verdugo being not a Mookie Betts, but being a, a viable hitter, you know, Christian Vasquez coming off of a really breakout kind of year. Um, you know, Mitch Moreland is kind of that, you know, steady sort of left-handed power, bat. the, the lineup's good. Um, but man, the pitching is <laughs> unbelievable. I, I mean, it, it's, it's stunning. In a bad <laughs> they, way, Bulls, in a bad
1: way, to be clear. y'all
2: totally, completely. <laughs> and And they know it. I mean, there's no, no one with the team, Absolutely no one I've talked to with the Red Sox has ever tried to convince me of, well, no, I think our pitching's great. Like, no, no, they know that this is, they, they've had a, a fighting chance at an okay rotation. If you, if you put Sale with Eduardo Rodriguez, now neither one, Sale is sort of a wild card at this point in his career, but, you know, that's not a bad one-two. There are a lot of teams out there that have a worse one-two than that. And then you would have Nathan Evaldi as that sort of number three guy who we all know huge stuff has never really put it together. He's had injuries, consistency issues, you know, Martin Perez is kind of the innings eater. And then you'd kind of have to roll the dice at number five, but again, that's a, a potentially passable rotation, but sail with Tommy John. And now who knows when Rodriguez is going to pitch because of COVID and, uh, and he kind I guess he, you know, has had some lingering effects from that. So it might be, I mean, weeks into the season before they get him. So now it's Ivaldi, Martin Perez, and then Ryan Weber at number three. And I mean, Weber was a minor league signing last year. He's never made an opening day roster. He's 10 years into his pro career. Like, right. even if you figure Ryan Weber is maybe a nice little find, right? He's a, you know, finesse pitcher who, you know, maybe has been sort of one of these guys who got kind of underrated and, and kind of trapped within minor league baseball for years and just need the chance. Great, but he's your number three, <laughs> and you won the World carry two years ago. Like that's, and, and they don't even have a four and five right now. It's, so I was it's gonna an ask. opener in one spot. It's an opener in one spot, and they've told us that, you know, they depending on how things go, they'd like to then have a more traditional starter in the number five spot. But I mean, the options for that are like that godly Dylan Covey, Brian Johnson. Like it is not a. Uh, these are you know sort of spot starter types. Um, you know, maybe it works. I mean, maybe in a 60 game season, you can BS your way through it and lean heavily on all those extra arms in the bullpen. The bullpen actually does look pretty good. Um, You know, I'm not sold on Brandon Workman as an elite closer, but he was an elite reliever last year and and Matt Barnes is really good. Um, Then they have sort of a bunch of those middle guys, but maybe, I mean, maybe you can piece that together over 60 games, but, but man, it, it, it's hard to imagine that right now with the way that, you know, you now look at the way elite starting pitching is, you know, where you're used to, I mean, look, the Yankees got Garrett Cole, right. And now this is the rotation. The Red Sox are rolling out. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be tough to imagine how exactly they can make that work.
1: Yeah. And uh, even like you said, with sale, if if he didn't need surgery this year, it was still going to be big questions. So that kind of Mm -hmm. poses, you know, that, That I think brings up the question and fairly, what, what is the Red Sox plan for the next few years? Because it doesn't seem like they're really ready to compete, but they also still have a ton of talent and a ton of payroll. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it seems to me anyway, that, that there was a sense of after 18 is maybe when they missed the chance to kind of begin to reset, right? Like they came out 18, they win, And then you can already see issues down the line. Like you can tell that if you're going to keep Mookie, you're going to have to give him, you know, probably then you would have had to give him 400 million. Um, You know, in this environment, the Dodgers get him for whatever, 365. But, you know, you know, that's coming. And, you know, at the time, they hadn't signed sales to an extension, they hadn't signed Bogart to an extension. Um, Devers and Benintendi are getting closer to arbitration. You can tell that these sort of storm clouds are coming. And the way they reacted was to just bring everyone back. You know, then he signed of all the signed a short term deal with Steve Pierce. Like there, there was nothing that happened after 18 to begin setting up for what's next. And I think that's that seems to be why Dave Dombrowski was fired at the end of last season, and why a uh, a guy, uh, one of the you know the young modern day GM and pine Bloom was brought in. I I I, I don't know. It's it's, it's, like you said. It's hard to see exactly what the plan is here because it's not like they have a wave of young starting pitching coming up through the system that looks like it's clearly going to be the next the next step in the rotation. Um, But but I do wonder if they have enough pieces here to kind of you know can you figure out a way to make it work if if ownership spends a little bit more you know in the next couple of years once you've gotten under the luxury tax and all that maybe there's a willingness to spend again but. I, that doesn't feel like the way they're going. I mean, I think that these two years when the Red Sox had the highest payroll in baseball, I think those were outlier seasons when John Henry and Tom Warner recognized, kind of, here's where we are as an organization, now's the time to go for it. And then I think they're going to have to, the, the current front office is going to have to build up a core again and and be in a definite position of, okay, look, we are... Whatever the next JD Martinez is, whatever the next Chris Sale is, we're that piece away from being a World Series contender to convince ownership to go. All right, we'll go all in again. I think that we're going to see for the next few years an attempt to really adjust and change the way this roster is built, um, and and we just don't have a framework for what that's going to look like because none of us has seen Heim Bloom really run an organization over the course of you know many years. It's just been these these months when, you know, he obviously didn't have much money to spend and in the end decided to trade with the
1: best. Yeah, you can't judge a GM on a few months of, of action, especially when the situation he was thrown into. But it's kind of interesting, the timing, how it all played out, because I can see wanting to bring back the 2018 team because they won 108 games and won a mm-hmm. World Series. Yeah. So I, so I see the appeal of just rolling it back. Like, hey, this worked, let's roll it back. But the way the contracts broke, like I know J.D. Martinez's option, didn't he pick that up for this year? And that was sort of just bad timing as far as if they were going to re-sign Mookie Betts. Well, then you you can't really pay J.D. Martinez all that money and Mookie Betts. So it was kind of just like bad timing mixed with easy, not um, just sort of like fallback decisions, like taking the easy way out after 2018.
2: Yeah, and I wondered if that was if you remember, Dombrowski was the GM of the Marlins when they won, and then had to, and then he was ordered to blow it up immediately yeah. after he won the World Series. So I wonder if there was a part of him, and I remember talking to him about this leading into it, that that he was excited about the idea of having, getting to win a World Series and getting to actually defend his title. Um, and and you know, you wonder if that experience with Florida. You know, if he felt almost like, okay, no, like I, yes, maybe I should be preparing for the future, but I want to defend, like, that's the thing I didn't get to do last time. I'm going to go all in on defending the championship that I won and try to win a second one instead of thinking down the road and going, okay, I won my title. Now I need to start doing the practical thing and begin preparing for sort of the next whatever, five, 10 years. And and that's obviously not what happened. And it, and it seemed telling that that when when they fired Dabrowski, John Henry said that that he felt like as immediately after the World Series, he could tell they were not on the same page. Um, and you know, then you see sort of the the ripples that have come after that. And and it does feel like that, that that's the turning point. They they win that World Series, and now it's do you focus on defending or do you focus on trying to build up for the next one? And they focused on def- on defending, and then had you know, just an overwhelmingly disappointing season
1: last year. Yeah, well, then I guess you can say some of that criticism deserves for for Henry, because it's not like that he was dealing with the mm-hmm. 2013 team, which you knew was a fluke. Like we knew the 13 team was not a championship caliber team and going forward. But 2018 right. had a young nucleus of players and still does. So wanting to defend that and say our championship window is three to four years. Let's keep it rolling. Doesn't on the face of it seem like that terrible of a decision? I know it didn't work out, so hindsight's twenty twenty. But as it was like an apples and oranges situation, so I could see where Dombrowski was
2: coming from. Oh, completely. Plus, that's what Dave does. Like that—that was the thing that I felt. That's his. Maybe a little bit unfair. It's like you brought in the guy who does this, like, and he did it perfectly, right? I mean, you you brought him in, and within four years, he's made—you know—he's given. David Price and insane contract. He's traded the farm for Chris Sale. He's traded for Craig Kimbrel. Uh, signed JD Martinez. Like he did Dave Dombrowski type things, and it worked. Like 2018 wasn't just oh they won a championship. I mean they won 108 games yeah. and then Best lost team three games in the postseason. I mean they were great. And so yeah, So then be shocked of that. Oh wow, he you know our farm system's not as good as it was, and, and he's. Now resigning Nathan Abalde and Steve Pierce, like, yeah, right. <laughs> you, you hired Dave Dombrowski to do this. Like, what, what did you think was going to happen?
1: Yeah, he's not. Um, he's not the best farm system builder. He's a farm system dismantler. No, and,
2: and if you wanted that, you had been Charrington. That's that's who was there before Dave, and that's that was that is his background, and and that's sort of he's a player development guy. So, yeah, ownership uh, seems a little so schizophrenic,
1: know. you know, with their decisions. They 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 go in these waves of rebuilding for the future and then win now rebuild for the future win now it seems like back and forth with them
2: yeah, a little bit and and you know and maybe again the, maybe that just is sort of the echo of it you know i mean maybe yeah. that for most franchises that has to be That's i remember the years that i was covering the yankees i felt like that's now that we've gotten past that you look back on those years with cashman and even though they they weren't winning championships you know throughout the 2000s you know that they you know they went obviously one in nine, but they that they were that good that consistently and, you know, still making the playoffs every year. You know, they had the one year when they had to do the big blow up fire sale, which by the way, they nailed. I mean, that, that year that they traded everybody and got all these pieces back and get Glaber Torres, like the, the one time they had to sell all pieces, they got that exactly right. There's a lot to be said for just the ability to stay that competitive consistently, because even a team like the Red Sox that has the spending power, you know, they haven't been able to do it you're in and you're out, you know, every single year, be a competitive team. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez and his dealings with COVID. Uh, I know he had a really tough time of it before summer camp and, and now he's shut down again. Um, you know, just talk a little bit about more what he's been going through mm-hmm. and what, what the timeline is for him. I mean, maybe it's just unknown, but like, what, what can the Red Sox really expect from him? Cause he's supposed to be their ace this year.
2: Right. Yeah. And coming off of a really good year. You know, I mean, that is, this last season was legit. I mean, it's, you know, not dominant. It was like a 3 8 ERA, one in 19 games or something, but stayed healthy, pitched well. I mean, it's a, I think he's a pretty good 2 3 starter. Um, but he, so they came in, you know, with, with pretty high hopes for him. Um, so, yeah, he got diagnosed with COVID right before well, he got diagnosed at the intake for the start of summer camp, but he'd been apparently sick for, you know, several days leading up to that. Um, And then it seemed like he was ready to go. He threw a bullpen about a week ago, uh, but they won't, they didn't tell us exactly what it is. They said that he is, that there are medical issues linked to COVID that he's now going through. I uh, total assumption for me is that it's, that it must be something to do with his lungs and just breathing. I mean, it's a, so I I just assume it's sort of like a shortness of breath thing. And I, but I, but I don't know. I mean, I have no idea. That's just when I hear, covid and complications afterward that are common to covid that's where my mind goes
1: and other athletes so who have mis- gotten it have been dealing with that like nba players have said they right. still don't have their lungs back that got it right so for some people yeah. it's so, just a lingering thing there
2: right so i that that's just my assumption of the details of it but what we know is some sort of medical setback from lingering effects of covid they're going to shut him down for a week and this was starting yesterday shut him down for, so he'll be out just not throwing the ball basically for the first week of the season. And then he's got to build back up. I, I mean, they could bring him back as like a two or three inning guy to start. So maybe he's back. I, I mean, I would think it's a minimum two weeks into the season before he can start, you know, maybe even three. And if it's three weeks, that's a third of the, <laughs> you no, know, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you, you do the math. So on yeah, and you
1: realize how much of an impact it is.
2: Right. Oh, completely. And and it's and and it's not only him. I mean, they're they're starting this year without Darwinson Hernandez or Josh Taylor, who were their two like really breakout left handed relievers that were really key for them last season, and we're going to have key roles this year. So that's a lot for a team that didn't have a lot of pitching to begin with <laughs> to now be without three of your top guys. Um, is a tough way to start. Now you're maybe handed a gift by opening against the Orioles, but uh, it's it's tough. I mean, that. So I I think it's going to be several weeks into the season before they get Eduardo Rodriguez and for the Red Sox of their first 23 games, 13 are against the Yankees and the Rays. So the start of the season is going to determine whether they're, you know, remotely in the hunt for one of the first two spots in the division, which obviously we know feels like a long shot anyway, but I mean, they may be totally out of that within the first few weeks. Um, and they're probably going to have to go through that stretch, you know, largely without the number one starter.
1: Yeah. I want to talk about Mookie Betts because the the news of the, the extension with the Dodgers. And I, I kind of got the sense from, you know, I, I kind of keep up on like Boston sports and stuff. I kind of got the sense that Red Sox fans thought that they got off the hook with Betts in this short year. And it's like, Oh, he might not even be with the Dodgers long-term. And we were only mm-hmm. going to have him 60 games anyway. And now 12 year extension, What has the uh, reaction been? What has the feeling been? I guess against uh, amongst the Boston fans on that that news.
2: Well, I think it's I think it's well, it's obviously frustration, disappointment, all those things. I I, I do think an element of this though that's a little bit different is, you know, they they offered him ten years, three hundred million, at some point after the 2018 season. Um, It doesn't feel like a giant leap. From 10 years, 300 million to 12 years, 365. That feels like okay. Surely you could have closed that gap. You're the Red Sox, right? Yeah. Now. yeah. But you know, you also have to take into account timing on that. I mean, that the, the Red Sox after 18 would have been signing him through 10 years would have been signing him through his age 35 season. This extension starts in 2021 and goes for 12 years. The Dodgers signed him through age 39. So you're tacking on four years of the time when you assume he's not going to be very good. So it is a big—that's a big difference to me. That's a, that's a huge contractual difference between where the Red Sox were, which at the time, you know, at the time, three hundred million. Gosh, I mean, before that offseason, season, John Carl Stanton is the only player who'd ever signed at three hundred million. So they were offering him a big amount. Now Mookie read the market correctly and turned it down because he knew that there, the market was going to drive his his value higher but it's a big leap to go from 10 years 300 million to what effectively would have had to be you know what 14 years yeah and, that, that's a good way you know, to look at it
1: it would have been a 14 year at million. that point yeah, yeah. equivalent to, that's match,
2: a good way. to match what he's gotten now so it so it, there's a big gap there and and i do think there's but, but there's there so i think it's oversimplifying to go well the, the red sox could have done this deal And they didn't, that's not exactly how it works. And you have to factor in the current market where Mookie's willingness to sign a huge extension. I mean, this is a huge, huge extension. His willingness to sign that without testing the open market was surely heightened by recognizing the economic situation of the game right now. This was not going to be a good time to, to be a, to be the top three agent on the market. So so, there are all these factors that, that play into why the Dodgers were able to do it and the Red Sox couldn't. But, I mean, the Dodgers, or the Red Sox drafted and developed this guy. They knew how good he was. And I think it is, it is understandably disappointing. And I, and I don't think there's a, a valid counter argument that it, it, it is disappointing to know that the Red Sox couldn't get this done and the Dodgers made, managed to do it in five months. Right. And before he so even played over, a real game for them. Before he even played a game there. It is, again, it is oversimplifying it, but you can't help but have that feeling, right? That, I mean, that those things are still true. It, it, we, everyone in Boston knew this was coming and that it was going to take something outrageous to get Mookie to sign to a long term extension. And then in the middle of an economic crisis, the Dodgers gave him something outrageous and signed him to an extension. So it makes it feel like, okay, it could have been done. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the Red Sox just didn't do it. Now, I mean, look, the Yankees didn't sign Robinson Cano. Oh, I was just going to bring uh, that up. Yep, just going to bring that and up. And so, I, you know, signing a guy for 12 years, even when he's as good as Mookie is, that's a dangerous deal. I mean, that could be a terrible contract um, and probably will be, right? I mean, what are the chances of this thing still feeling like a really great deal for the Dodgers? 10 years from now, I mean, pretty slim, but that's what you you do. Totally. I'm I'm with you. I I tend to agree with you. There, there are, there are limits, I think to what's the the wisdom here, right? Like, yeah, of course it makes no sense to find a guy for 12 years, but if you're the Red Sox or you're the Yankees or you're the Dodgers, you just do it, man. I mean, (laughs) this guy can be one of the defining players of your franchise. And I mean, really it might've been the, you know, the second greatest Red Sox player after Ted Williams. And now he's going to go into the hall of fame. If he continues at this track, he'll go in wearing a Dodgers hat. And, and that's a, that's a big loss beyond just the, the obvious, uh, you know, economic realities of, of how bad a 12 year, $365 million contract can be. There's value in just having that guy here for the long run.
1: Yeah, no one thinks that Garrett Cole is going to be a Cy Young pitcher when he's thirty-eight years old. But you, right. you right. pay, you pay the premium now so he can win you a World Series in twenty 2020, twenty, twenty twenty-one for for the back end. Right. right. Yeah. It's just the same for yeah. anything. Yeah. It's just the the yeah. economics of baseball. And Cole nailed the timing on his free agency. And Mookie, you're, you're right. He probably took a little bit of a discount because of all this. Um, oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. The last thing I want to talk to you about. So the last podcast we did was the Red Sox were still under investigation and we had sort of speculated about what was going to come out of that. Not really much was found. They kind of pinned it on the video replay room guy and they, yeah. didn't, they didn't really say Cora did anything with the Red Sox. All his stuff is from the Astros. So it kind of seems like the Red Sox got off easy. Maybe they didn't find anything, but at the same time, it doesn't seem like they really were punished that much.
2: No, I, I mean, I, I found it really bizarre that you'd come down hard on the, the video game guy. I mean, <laughs> you know, every team has this guy who is just there doing the grunt work yeah. behind the scenes. And to try to suggest that this guy was orchestrating some great scheme that no one on the coaching staff knew about seems insane. I will also say that what seems insane to me is the idea that what the Red Sox were caught doing – where occasionally the video room guy would tell them, Oh, I noticed these signs. <laughs> My belief is that that is happening with every single team in baseball. Yep, I, I mean, agree. I, I, it, it's too easy to do. And that's based on conversations with people in the game. I, I, it's too obvious. Like it is it's stupid to tell these guys, Look, you're the same. Like in the case of the Red Sox, this guy, JT Watkins, part of his job was. Leading into a series, he's the guy who would study team tendencies. He's the guy who's, who's just pouring over video looking for pitch tipping or looking for signs or whatever else. And all of that is not only allowed, but it's encouraged, right? Like that's a big that, – that's the sort of behind-the-scenes part of baseball that you kind of know happens, and there are guys who are good at it, and, and we celebrate those guys. And you're telling me he's allowed them to, to, do, to look at all of this video and look at all these – signs but if he's watching but then you put him in, inside of a room to watch a live feed of the game and tell him he can't tell anyone what he sees that's dumb don't put him <laughs> in that room the, like, <laughs> you can't hand him that yeah that's, a, that's that's an insane decision by baseball to say here's how we're going to do video replay but but my gosh don't use it for the Thing that you've always used as a way to kind of try to sneak some information on the team. It just was naive and stupid. So yeah,
1: here's a Ferrari, but don't drive fast.
2: And, and so, and I also, and I believe to me, that's part of why the punishment was so light. If the, if the league comes down hard on the Red Sox for that, for something that they know, in my opinion, my feeling is something that they must know is happening basically everywhere. If you've come down really hard on the Red Sox for that, you're setting yourself up to have to come down hard on every, every team Is suddenly it's going to start getting out of, well, you know, when I was playing for whoever in 2017, they had that team going, okay, well, now it's a whole new investigation we got to get it. And so I think you, you come down light and that makes it where it, it's kind of a like, okay, guys, let's try to knock this off and hopefully the sport can kind of move on. But to me, you've got to, you got to change the way you're doing replay just because you're, you're just, you're asking for this stuff. If this stuff is not legal, if, if you can't do what the Red Sox are accused of doing, then then stop setting it up where that's clearly the way you're going to do it. Right. I I think that's the, to me, that's the big thing I took away from it was they, this, this was the obvious way to go. And that's why they punished them so lightly is it, it, you must know that other teams are
1: doing this. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that's that makes a ton of sense. And, and baseball definitely did want to just move past the cheating scandal. And instead, they one-upped it with an economic dispute. So, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> beautiful.
2: What a, yeah, boy, the state of the game. And, and man, I mean, can you imagine if you could have gotten this figured out so quickly? You know, the, the chance to be like a feel-good story at a time when the, the country was so desperately looking for sports. You know, just think about how exciting it is right now. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm one of countless people around the country who watched both games last night. And, you know, that's, that would have been awesome. And, but instead it's all kind of like, ah, getting here was so ugly and gross. And, and it, I think it's just taken a little bit of the shine off of what could have been this great moment for baseball to, to get to be the national sport again. Um, and instead it's kind of like, well, now we, we've kind of seen the, we've seen the ugly underbelly of what's going on here. And and I think that does take away from it a little bit.
1: Well, buckle up, Chad, because we're
2: due for it (laughs) after the
1: 2021 season. All that off season is going to be about the CBA.
2: Yeah, completely. Like you think that there's, I mean, there's obviously a good chance that they're not going to be able to get through 2020 because who knows what's going to happen. But man, there's a good chance. They're not going to get through 2022 either, you know, or even start it. I mean, this, this thing is this, this, this revealed just how, how bad the situation is between the two sides.
1: Yeah. If if they could have only played a handful of games this year because of COVID, no one's going to blame them for that. You know, they gave it their best effort, but, but to shrink the season to 60 games, to wait till late July to come back when there's no reason they couldn't have done summer camp in June under these same protocols. Nothing has really changed from a COVID standpoint in the, in the last six weeks. But yeah, it was economic. And, you know, Scott and I on this show spent, spent pretty much the last four months just bitching about that because we were both pissed off. And I'm sure,
2: (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people,
1: a lot of people, you know, at the athletic and, and your, your colleagues are feeling the same way.
2: Yeah, it was, it was, it was frustrating to watch it. And it was frustrating for people in the game. I mean, I, you know, conversations with people and stories I was working on during the season, you know, I'd sort of do the interview inevitably the conversation just turned to like, well, what do you think's going to happen here? What do you think? And, you know, it was almost universally everyone's like, oh god, I just wish this weren't what's happening because it's such a it's such a great opportunity for the game to 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 be the, the focal point for the country and they, they sort of botch that.
1: Yeah. And it's like it's you know I'm I'm pessimistic about the whole two sides figuring stuff out, but that's because that's the history of the two sides. Is they <laughs> yeah, right. disagree. Yeah. So like how can you be optimistic that they're gonna get on the same page going forward? Do they never have been on the same page?
2: Right. Yeah. No, there's, there's no reason to feel that way. There's no reason to look at this and go, what, you know, I think these guys though, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. But if two sides can work out, it's the league and the players association. No, that's, <laughs> it's It's going to be tough. Yeah. All right, man. Well, but I, hope, da- I mean, I hope they can, you know, I mean, oh, labor <laughs> strike is not fun. I mean, I don't, I think there's sometimes a sense that like baseball writers, like roots for chaos. And to some extent we do. But not like this. This, like, let's, I, I hope they can work out something where it. Uh, there, there's the game is. The game's been around too long. It's too good, too fun, and there's too much money in it for everyone to not figure out a way to make it all work. And uh, so, I, I hope that they can get there.
1: Chaos on the field or chaos in free agency. Not chaos meaning yeah. no baseball, because that means <laughs> that saying, means nobody's right. watching, no one's reading, no one's listening.
2: Yeah, that's not good for any of us. Nope.
1: Hey, appreciate the time. Enjoy the Red Sox game tonight and uh, enjoy the season. Yeah, that sounds
2: good,
1: man. Thank you. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter, at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.
0: I'm Mark Chapman.
1: Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.